He was born in tumultuous times when the entire world seemed to have turned upside down. For the last 60 years, the kingdom of Judah has decayed and degenerated into something that is now barely recognizable. The holy temple, once built by Solomon, has been desecrated by the most unimaginable idols. The true worship of the one true God has been all but erased on a national scale, and it has been replaced with the debauchery of sensual pagan rituals. For six decades, the people of the kingdom of Judah have been steadily backsliding, moving further and further from a God they used to know and used to serve. Good is now considered to be evil, and evil is now propagated as though it were good. Light is now considered to be darkness, and darkness is now preached as though it were light. Sweet is now considered to be bitter, and bitter is promoted as though it were sweet. But that stern warning from the prophet Isaiah, that was given to Judah 60 years earlier. And that word from God has been discarded and disregarded so long that now it seems to be only the ranting and raving of an overzealous lunatic, a crazy old preacher, old-fashioned, out-of-date, and irrelevant. No one remembers anymore that it was that old prophet Isaiah who literally saved the kingdom of Judah from captivity with that fanatical preaching. No one stops to consider that if Judah hadn't repented in the days of King Hezekiah, they would have met the same fate as their northern neighbor, the kingdom of Israel. The empire of Assyria had swept in to decimate the north and take all of its citizens into a captivity from which they never, ever returned. But when that same powerful ancient empire tried to besiege the city of Jerusalem and conquer the much smaller kingdom of Judah, they were unsuccessful. Because after all, back in those days, Judah was still listening to an old-fashioned preacher named Isaiah. But by the time this boy was born, the prophet Isaiah has been dead for decades. His prophetic voice has long been silenced and Judah has suffered the disastrous consequences. The temple is in disrepair and it's filled with disgraceful idolatry. And God's own people now burn incense to the heathen pagan idol Baal within its gates. Hillsides all around the country of Judah are dotted with altars to pagan gods like Ashtoreth and Chemosh and Milcom. And at these altars, sex and sin mingle in a grotesquely perverted form of worship. Worst of all, in the valley of Hinnom, just south of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, God's own people, they now sacrifice their own children by burning them alive on the altars of Molech. And as those little babies writhe and wail and scream in pain, 
the priests of Molech simply beat a drum louder and sang at the top of their voices to drown out the cries of those dying babies. By the time this boy is born, very little remains of Judah's spiritual heritage. Yes, wickedness and paganism are all around them and all the nations that surround them. But far worse than that, idolatry is now firmly entrenched right in their own nation. And that idolatry cripples their daily lives. It mocks at them from their own temple. And it has absolutely devoured the faith that they once held dear. All Judah has left is the empty shell of powerless religious rituals. They go through the motions of worship, but they know that there must be, there has to be, and there used to be something more. I preached to somebody today. I don't know who you are or where you live, but I preached to somebody because I felt your spirit, if it were, when I was preparing for this message. And you're listening to me right now and you know that there's got to be, there has to be, there must be something more than the way you're living. And for somebody that's listening to my voice right now and watching this webcast, you know that there used to be something more in your life. And God right now in this time when you feel so strange because we're so isolated one from another, that's not really what's making you uncomfortable. What's making you uncomfortable is you've come face to face with the emptiness that is in your heart and in your spirit because you used to drown it with work and busyness and going here and there and you couldn't sit still for an hour. You had to go to the mall. You had to go to a restaurant. You had to go for a drive because there's an emptiness in your spirit and in your heart and God has arranged this time in your life and in our lives to come face to face with what could be there what should be there, and for some of you, what used to be there. And though right now Judah is bound by the chains of their own sin and shame, there's still something within them because God put it in every human heart. There's something within them that longs and cries and hopes and, and dares to believe just a sliver of faith. There's got to be something more. There's got to be freedom. And you're feeling that in your life right now. And then, this boy is born. <laughs> like his nation, he has no spiritual heritage, no pedigree of righteousness, no pattern of godliness. His grandfather, Manasseh, was one of the most wicked kings Judah had ever seen. His grandfather was the one who set up these vile altars and these vulgar images that still pollute the holy temple. It was his grandfather, Manasseh. He was the one who debased the people and degraded the country by setting up sex shrines all over the place where the most depraved rituals still take place. It was his own grandfather, he was the one who practiced witchcraft and fortune-telling and seances. And he opened up the nation of Judah to demonic, satanic influence. He was the one, this boy's grandfather was the one, who sacrificed some of his own sons 
by burning them on the altars of Molech. He did things that were far worse than all the heathen pagan nations ever thought of doing. And so it was Manasseh, this boy's grandfather. He was the one who made God so very, very angry with Judah. Manasseh did turn to God momentarily toward the end of his life, but by then the damage was done and it was too far gone. His son Amnon became king in his place and immediately returned to the evil ways of his father. More vile altars, more vulgar images, more evil, more wickedness, more sin, more shame. It finally got so bad in the kingdom of Judah that Ammon's own servants revolted and assassinated him right in his own palace. And the boy undoubtedly saw it all. A little boy, he saw the broken down temple. He saw the idols and the sex shrines and the lustful orgies. He was no doubt present when some of his own baby brothers were burned alive on the altars of Molech by his own dad. And he no doubt witnessed the brutal murder of his own father because it was that murder that brought him to the throne. Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 1. The boy Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years years. Thankfully, praise God for it, Josiah's history did not determine Josiah's destiny. Just because his father messed up did not mean that Josiah had to stay messed up. Just because his family was dysfunctional doesn't mean that Josiah had to stay dysfunctional. Just because he had no righteousness in his past, that didn't mean he couldn't have righteousness in his future. So instead of following the crowd, Josiah decided to shatter the mold and follow the Lord. He had never met his godly great-grandfather, King Hezekiah. But now this young boy decided that if he had anything at all to do with it, things were going to change in the nation of Judah. He had only heard about his ancestor way back, the wonderful King David, the man after God's own heart. But right now, this young boy, Josiah, he decided that he too was going to do what was right and godly and righteous and holy in the sight of the Lord. Verse two says, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of David, his ancestor. And he declined neither to the right hand nor to the left you couldn't dissuade him from the choice he had made. Don't ever try to tell this pastor that young people cannot impact their world for God. They can and they do when they decide to follow the Lord with their whole heart. Josiah was only 16 when he began to earnestly seek after God. And he was only 20 years old when he began the most ambitious restoration project that Judah and Jerusalem had ever seen. 
Verse three says, for in the eighth year of his reign, he's now 16, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. And in the 12th year, he's now 20 years old. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from all those high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. The idols, they had to be torn down first. Wooden images, stone images, bronze images, all images. Josiah cut them down, broke them down, melted them down, and ground them to dust. Because Josiah knew that as long as the people had these images in their towns and in their homes, the spirit behind those idols would continue to control their hearts. Idolatry had been so pervasive in Judah that it took him six years to purge the lands and the homes of the people. And then when he was 26, Josiah started on the place that it, where it mattered the most. He began to cleanse and repair and restore the temple of the Lord. Over the last couple of weeks, three weeks, I've been reading the accounts of the kings in Kings and Chronicles in the Old Testament. And it struck me so powerfully as I was reading the accounts of Josiah's reign in both Kings and Chronicles. It struck me, it just stopped me. How sinful and how evil Judah had become. Only an act of radical repentance could ever hope to save them. It's difficult to imagine. This is what stopped me and stunned me as I read the word of God. Can you imagine that the people of the one true God, the people who'd been given the 10 commandments, the people who'd seen miracles, the people that God had led through the wilderness and then led them into a promised land, which he gave them and helped them conquer. Can you imagine a people like that, that they would allow pagan, filthy, sensual idols to be set up right in God's temple. And we look back and we shudder with horror and we say, how sinful, how evil, how stupid, how short-sighted. But then, as I considered that, these verses came to my mind. 1 Corinthians 3, know ye not that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy. But wait a minute. Which temple you are? You're the temple of God. And then there's this passage in chapter 6. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. And because God paid everything to save you, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit because they're both God's. They belong to Jesus. You didn't pay for your salvation. He did. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. You cannot afford in this end time, last days generation to allow idols to be set up in your heart because you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. We can't imagine that Judah would have allowed idols to be set up in their temple. And we look and we say how sinful and how evil and how short-sighted. 
But I have to ask you, because you know that you've come face to face with yourself during this time. When you've had extra time to think, extra time to just be with you and be with your thoughts, you know. What idols have you allowed to be set up in your heart? You see, an idol is anything that takes your focus off of God and puts it on something else. When anything other than God comes first in your heart and in your life, that is an idol. Even if it's good, it's still an idol. And I have to tell you today, I feel compelled and pushed by the Holy Ghost to tell you today that you're no different than Judah with all of their pagan idols in their temple because you know that some of your thoughts and actions, attitudes and meditations, they're sinful and evil and short-sighted. Now it's pretty difficult to imagine that Judah would allow idols to be set up in their temple. But it's even more difficult for me to fathom that Judah, the people of the one true God, would have sacrificed their own children in the fires that burned on the altar of Molech. And we shudder in horror and we say, what is wrong with you people? How sinful, how evil, how short-sighted. You burn your own children in the fires on the pagan altar to Molech. But then you can disagree, you can shut me down if you want. But then I couldn't help but think of all the parents who live only for the moment, only for money, only for possessions and positions and popularity and perks and pleasures. And they are raising their precious children, the greatest gift that God could ever give to us outside of the Holy Ghost. They are raising their precious children with the very same mindset. You talk about a viral pandemic, the virus we should fear is the virus of idolatry that can so subtly worm its way into our hearts and infect us and infect the next generation. These parents today, some of them go to churches. They would never comprehend or even be able to fathom placing their precious children in the fires of Molech, but by their own actions and attitudes, they are in danger of doing something far, far worse, something that is eternally fatal because the fires of Molech cannot compare to the fires of hell. I mentioned him earlier in this service when we were going to prayer. My friend, Brother Kenneth Carpenter, the esteemed superintendent of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. He preached a message just a few months ago, I think it was in November last year, in a very stirring sermon about hell. Very few preachers talk about hell anymore. It's an uncomfortable subject, even for apostolic preachers. And if most preachers ever do feel that they must mention hell, they feel compelled to dismiss it with a smirk or a stupid joke. But brothers and sisters, in the family of God, everyone that's listening, please hear this preacher. Hell is 
no joke. The fires of hell are real and the fires of hell are eternal. We look back with horror and disdain and we can't even comprehend how a rational human being, a loving parent, could take a precious baby and sacrifice it in the flames on a, a pagan altar to a pagan idol. How sinful. How evil. But can I say to you how sinful and how evil it would be to provide everything for your family. Everything they need. Everything they want. And provide it all for them in this life. But never provide the most important thing of all. In that powerful message, I want to leave you with a couple of minutes from my friend, Brother Kenneth Carpenter. He said in his message a statement that just rocked my world, and I hope it rocks your world. His statement was, there's something better than heaven, and there is something worse than hell. He said, what could be better than heaven would be as you are walking up to the throne. You made it to heaven, you made it there. And you're walking up to the throne and all of a sudden you hear, Mama, Mama. And for the entire family to come around the throne of God. I can think of nothing better. I can think of, of anything that would top heaven than to be around the throne of God and to have my children around the throne of God and was saying it paid off, didn't it? It paid off, didn't it? I know they were making fun of us. I know we were getting ridiculed, but it paid off. Look at Jesus, Nolan. Look at the Lord, Nolan. It paid off. I can think of nothing worse than hell. Flames dancing all around. A body that won't burn because it's an eternal body that won't burn. Gnashing of teeth, people gnashing on each other with their teeth. You're in a free fall the whole time because it's a bottomless pit. You hear the hissing of demonic spirits as they whiz around your ears. You hear all of these things are gnashing and moaning. Oh God, it's a cry of the unimaginable. You're hearing all of these people are gnawing on you and all of a sudden, your boy comes up beside you in hell. You hear me tonight, I'm about to preach you to this altar. You hear me tonight, Daddy. You better live such a way that in hell your children don't come up around you and say, Daddy, why didn't you lead us? Daddy, why didn't you get your feelings hurt? Mama, why were you so carnal? Mama, why weren't you in the prayer group instead of the gossip group? I've come to tell you tonight, that would be worse than hell. Oh my goodness. That rocked me, that statement. There is something better than heaven. It's having your family there with you. And there's something worse than hell. And that would be having your family there with you. I know you'll hear more joyful messages today as you surf the internet and you watch different church services. I know you'll hear more positive messages. Perhaps you'll consider them more uplifting messages. 
but you will not hear a more important message than this one. It is so critical for you to make sure that you do everything you can to ensure that your children make heaven their home. Only an act of radical repentance can ever save you and your family from the idols that you've allowed in your heart or in your home. If you're a parent, you bear the ultimate responsibility and the primary responsibility for getting your children, your young children, to heaven. It should challenge you to know that their eternity depends on you. Josiah was so determined that Judah would never again sacrifice their innocent little children in the fires of Molech. That he ordered the valley of Hinnom where that idol stood. He ordered it to be defiled by making it the city's garbage dump. And it was still Jerusalem's garbage dump in the time of Jesus when the Son of God walked their streets. By then, that defiled valley was called Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. It was an awful place. Fires burned constantly in the city garbage dump to consume all the trash that was dumped there. Maggots crawled constantly through the filth. And at night, it was horrifying. Wild dogs from the desert howled and gnashed their teeth as they fought over the garbage every single night. If the wind ever shifted and blew from that direction, the stench in ancient Jerusalem was nearly unbearable. And Jesus looked at that valley and said, Hell is a place where the worm would not die and the fire would not be quenched. He said there would be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. In effect, Jesus was saying, you want to know what hell looks like and sounds like? It looks like and sounds like Gehenna. Just look over there where the fires never stop burning. That's why Jesus talked about hell more than any other preacher in the Bible. That's why Jesus said this to us. If your eye or your hand or your foot, if anything in your life offends you, if it causes you to stumble, if it causes you to lose your relationship with God, if it causes you to grow cold spiritually, pluck it out. It would be better to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes be cast into hell fire. Yeah, Jesus said that. And he said, in hell their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. So I didn't come here to try to terrify anybody or scare anybody into serving God because that doesn't last very long. But I did come here with a mandate like the mandate of young King Josiah. We've got to get his determination in our spirit. Whatever it costs, whatever price I have to pay, whatever it takes, my family is not going to spend eternity in hell. My kids are not going to spend eternity in hell. My loved ones are not going to spend eternity in in hell. And I end here as the music team prepares to come back and help me. It was while they were cleaning and repairing and restoring the temple, trying to get rid of all these filthy pagan idols and altars. It was while they were cleaning the ancient temple that an amazing discovery was made 
by an old priest named Hilkiah. In 2 Kings chapter 22, we read about it. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah brought that scroll, that Bible, if you will. He brought that lost book, that lost scroll. He brought it to, and he gave it to Shaphan. And Shaphan read it. And when he read it, he rushed to young King Josiah. And in verse 10 it says, And Shaphan the scribe, he showed the king and he said, Hilkiah the priest delivered unto me this book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass when young King Josiah just heard the words of the book of the law that had been lost, he rent his clothes, a sign of sincere repentance. The reason so much sin had been allowed to accumulate in Judah is that the book of the law had been buried under the debris in the house of the Lord. It took that old priest Hilkiah with permission from his king to go in and start cleaning up the temple. And when he did, he found that precious treasure. It had been years since they'd read these scriptures in Judah. No wonder they were worshiping idols. No wonder they were acting like the pagan nations around them. No wonder they were powerless against the forces of the evil one. And I came with a word for somebody today. When you lose your Bible, when it falls into disuse in your life, when you stop reading it <laughs> and you stop studying those words and you stop crying over that precious book and praying over that precious book and talking to God about what he's saying to you from that precious book, you never know what's gonna accumulate in your temple. Trash and debris and junk, idols and altars to other things. But I've got a good word for somebody today. Somebody that this time of social isolation has knocked you back. Some of you, it's almost knocked you down. You're bewildered. You're fighting forces that you just drown out. You were already losing some battles, but you just kept busy enough so you never had to think about it. You were already allowing idols and altars to be built in your life that had nothing to do with your relationship with God. Other priorities, other relationships, other hobbies and habits, they'd already infiltrated because you had a lost Bible it had been a long time, it has been a long time since you've allowed the Word of God to wash over you. You feel it right now. Please don't deny it. <laughs> Please don't just tune me out or shut me down. Came with a word from God for somebody today. Your Bible's lost. Oh, once in a while you pray and you give God your laundry list of everything that you want Him to do for you and you're so disappointed when you don't think he answered the way he should have or that you wanted him to. But you're praying a list without a relationship. Prayers about what you want when prayer should be about who you want. But I've got good news for you. 
When you lose your Bible, you never know what will accumulate in your temple. But when you find your Bible again, (laughs) you never know how God is going to bless you and lead you and speak to you and draw you close to himself once more. Oh, I came with a word for a backslider today and you might not even be from our church family, but you're watching today. You're watching right now and you know that I'm talking to you and you remember how it used to be and you don't think it can ever be that way anymore because your temple has been so polluted. Your mind has been so overwhelmed. You've got habits and hang-ups and hurts. You've got all kinds of junk that's working against you. But let me tell you something. If you could find your way clear to find that old Bible that might have a layer of dust on it, and if you'll get your head and your heart back into your Bible, there is no telling what God can speak to you or do through you. Oh my goodness, I feel the conviction of this Holy Ghost. But I also feel the enabling power of the Holy Ghost for somebody today. Out of all the things you're doing during this time of social distancing and self-quarantine, I hope you are reestablishing your relationship with the Word of God. It's all too easy to let this Bible get lost under a pile of debris in your house. It's way too easy. And then sinful things start to accumulate in your temple. But not Josiah. The minute Josiah found that old Bible, that old scroll, he started to read it. And the minute he started to read it, he started to repent. And when he repented, the nation repented and started to recover. And when the nation repented and started to recover, the nation experienced revival all the days of Josiah. But it all started when he recovered that lost Bible. The Bible says about itself, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I love that scripture. And we preach that scripture. And that's a beautiful scripture. But the Bible is more than just a flashlight to just kind of guide you a little bit when you want it to. The Bible does more than instruct us. The Bible will also convict us. The prophet Jeremiah, he said, Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? I apologize if you think I'm abrasive today. I apologize if you think I'm confrontational today. But I am both because I'm trying to reach for you. And you've been lulled to sleep by the easy believism that kind of floats around like a viral pandemic in Christendom today. But what God would like to do is break up the fallow ground that is your heart. He'd like to start cleansing the idols and the altars that you've allowed in your temple. Not because he wants to hurt you. Not because he wants to take something from you. But when this Bible gets found, God can give things to you. He can give victory to you. He can give deliverance to you. He can give salvation to you. He can give answers to you. He can give direction to you. It all starts when you find your Bible. The Word of God demolishes the idols that are in our lives. 
And that doesn't bind us. That sets us free. My last scripture, and I'll close. For the word of God, this word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Listen closely. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul, your mind, and spirit, the eternal part of you. It can divide between the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The Word of God is so sharp and powerful that it can divide between soul and spirit. And you felt that today. You felt the Word of God getting in between your mind and your heart. Because your mind has been so conditioned by all the things of the world. Pleasure and position and all kinds of activity and your career and you're just busy, busy, busy. But God has shut you down during this time so he could reach for you. And while I've been preaching today, you felt something that you haven't felt for a while. There's been a dividing between your thinking process and that empty spot in you that's crying out for something better, something greater, and something eternal. That's what's going on in your heart right now. And God has arranged for you to be watching this service and sticking with us till this moment in this service so he can call you back to his word, so he can call you back to that old dusty Bible that's been so neglected. Because when you get your heart in the Bible, the Bible gets into your heart. I want to pray right now. I'm so grateful that you've watched today. I'm so grateful that you've heard me out. But I have a word for you. Go find that lost Bible. Open it up. You don't have to read pages and pages and chapters and chapters. Go to the Psalms. Go to one of the Gospels. Just open it up. Just read a couple of verses and say, Jesus, speak to me from your word. Let the word become fresh and new and powerful in your life today. It'll change your future. It'll change your family. And it'll change your eternity. Let me pray with you before we go. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence that we felt so powerfully here in this building. And I thank you because I know that your conviction and your challenge has been transmitted through the internet to individuals and families and homes today. I, I know it. And God, I pray for my wonderful brothers and sisters and all of our friends that are watching that they would not quickly nor easily shake off this word and go on about with their day and things they consider less difficult and more pleasant. But God, let there be a conviction that pulls at us and pulls us back to old Bibles that have been lost for a long time. God, you want to raise up a godly man to lead his home. Jesus, you want to raise up a godly mom to raise up her kids. Jesus, you want to raise up some godly young people that are fortified by your word to stand in this evil day, just like Josiah did. And so God, I'm praying that you would challenge us all and change us all by the power of the Holy Ghost. I speak it in the name of Jesus. If you need help, if you need to talk to somebody, you can contact us. 
through our website, through email, through the social media feed you might be watching on. And we will do our best to help you. But the greatest thing you can do for yourself is get yourself into the Word of God and let the Word of God get into you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for watching today. I bless your name. I bless your name.